As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod, the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, and he locked up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Can you all hear me well? (laughs) Glad to see you all here. Thank you for coming today. As uh, Matt said, we're going to be continuing along here in uh, Luke, and as we talked about last week... um, Luke was a historian, and so we're seeing the recorded events that happened in Jesus' life, and this next event is a really important one. But as I studied this, I've been kind of faced with a bit of a dilemma. I've been studying it for a while, trying to put this together. I knew I was going to be preaching this week for some time. But have you ever had that where you're reading the Word, you come across something you don't quite understand? It doesn't seem to make sense on the surface, and so you have to dig a lot deeper. And I had one of those as I looked at this this week. See, it's not as in verse 15 as it starts, as the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts and concerning John, whether it might be the Christ. Um, You know, it makes sense. You know, John was doing these miraculous things. He was speaking with authority and with power. And so they were beginning to wonder if he might be the Christ. And he said, no, I, I baptize you with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Well, that makes sense. He's speaking of Jesus here that is coming. We know that now because we have the lovely uh, time in hindsight. And then we have the verse, you know, his winning fork is in his hand, so to clear his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. And Herod the Tetrarch, being an evil man, um, you know, had him arrested. All that makes sense to me. I mean, none of that has questioned. But in verse 21, we hear, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. You see, I'm struggling because I read that Jesus traveled down from Nazareth to the Jordan to be baptized by John. As we discussed last week, you know that John was calling out for people to come and repent and confess their sins. The baptism of John was adopted from a purification ritual. It was used to, for the Gentiles who wanted to convert to the Jewish faith. And as we talked, that was a radical purification designed to cleanse them from their previous Gentile lives completely. 
John, however, he wasn't just doing this for the Gentiles. He was doing this with the Jews and telling them that they needed to repent, that they were dirty, that they were filthy. Everything was about repentance and purification. So my struggle is this. This baptism is all about repentance and purification so that people could go and ask God to forgive them for their sins. And why? I mean, why did the Son of God, Jesus, want to be baptized by John? I mean, he didn't need purifying. He was already holy in God's sight. He didn't need to repent or come back to God. He didn't need forgiving. He was sinless. So what use did Jesus have for this baptism? So that's the questions I'm trying to answer today. As I studied through this, I came up with at least two reasons. There's possibly more, but at least two major reasons, I believe, why Jesus was baptized. And they can really be summed up into just two words. He was baptized to identify and to be anointed. Now, first, what I mean by identify. The first reason I believe Jesus was baptized here was to identify with mankind. We read in Matthew's account of the baptism in Matthew 3, 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. You see, Jesus came down to be baptized, but John protested. He's saying, you don't need to be baptized in this water. I'm the one that needs to be baptized by your Holy Spirit, your cleansing fire. But Jesus said, let it be so now. It's proper for, for us to fill all righteousness. See, John immediately recognized Jesus didn't need to repent for being forget or be forgiven. But Jesus still said it was right for him to be baptized. Why? Well, I believe part of it is because he needed to identify with those he was to save. I mean, it's an amazing thing that the God who created the heavens and the earth, the entire universe, would chose to come and identify with his cre creation in our time of need. He could have come up with a different plan. God could have chosen something that allowed him to remain in heaven, remain distant, not have to come down here in the muck, so to speak, among us. But no, God's plan involved Jesus coming down here to identify with one of us. Hebrews 4.14 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. I think it is wonderful that we have a high priest who is not unable to sympathize with our weakness, but instead one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Jesus hurt. He had emotions. He experienced joy. He experienced sadness. He saw his family life. He worked as a carpenter with his hands. He experienced everything that we have, 
in this life. He was tempted just like any other person. And so coming and standing in the Jordan River with the others that were being baptized, he was standing in solidarity with the rest of mankind. Because he wanted to identify with us as a sinner, even though he was without sin. Through his life on earth, takes on, he takes on our sinful conditions as a predicament and becomes our representative before God. Notice that the events occurs directly after Christ's baptism. In chapter 4 and beyond, we see that he goes into the wilderness where he is tempted. Isn't it significant that when Christ empties himself of all his rights and privileges as God and steps into the ring as our representative, that's when he is faced with the full ugliness of our fallen condition and our need for redemption. I believe that not only does Jesus, though, just want to associate with our sin and weakness, but he also wants to associate himself with those who came to John in repentance and confession. He identifies himself with those who would seek to live a life of obedience to God. He identifies himself with God's true Israel. In doing so, he reinforces the importance of these actions of repentance and confession, which he later advocates for so strongly. Jesus loved us so much that he was willing to come here and do these things. And this event, this time when he comes before John, it really is a marker. It is a, an important point because he is establishing what he is about to do. It sets the stage for everything that Jesus has done since. The second part, the second reason I believe that he came here was to be anointed. See, Jesus had a great ministry and a great work he was about to do. And he had lived his life as a man upon this earth. And while he was yet fully God, he was also yet fully man. And he needed the power of the Holy Spirit upon him and the anointing of the Heavenly Father and the blessing to begin this work. Jesus was baptized, therefore, to identify, but also to be anointed. See, I believe this was the marker for the beginning for his ministry of redemption. As I spoke last week, Luke writes with a historian's eye oftentimes in his gospel. And the Jewish people, they left markers and important aspects. And what we have as a marker in our Christian lives is multiple things, but mostly the word. We have the recorded history of this event occurring, and this stands as a marker of this historical event. For after this event, he ceased to be a carpenter, and he took on his role as a redeemer. He began his ministry. But all he accomplished from this point forward didn't come about because he was simply baptized. It was what followed immediately after this baptism, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. As I said, the, as we talked about before here, he was anointed when the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. Now, the word anoint is a word which literally means to rub oil on a person or a thing. Anointing was usually used to symbolize that a person was set apart or holy or consecrated. So you anointed the objects in the temple. You anointed important people. Kings, honored guests were anointed. 
Anointed one was used as a title for someone that was chosen or equipped for a specific or important office, such as anointing a king. The interesting thing that when you really look at, the word often translated as Christ or Messiah often means anointed one. Christ was anointed. He was set apart as holy and consecrated for the service of God. He was a given authority for the work ahead. Luke talks about this a little bit more in 4.18. He says, as Jesus began his ministry, he stands up in the synagogue and reads from Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set a liberty those who are oppressed. When the Holy Spirit descended upon him, whether it was actually like a dove or something that just reminded somebody of the flapping of a dove wings, he was anointed for ministry. And I think it's important to talk about the fact that this wasn't just some symbolic thing. It was, oh, this is when his ministry began. It's described that the Holy Spirit descended upon him in a physical manifestation. A marker that was clear. A historical point. Whatever form the Holy Spirit's descent took, it was physical and obvious. At least to John and Jesus. This was a ministry marked with power from heaven power that was given to him when he was anointed. This moment was to mark the beginning of the end of the Old Covenant, the coming of the kingdom of God itself. No longer would people be reliant on the sacrificial system of the Old Covenant. After this point, people could be saved by calling out to Jesus Christ alone in faith. This was a pivotal point in redemptive history that was marked by Jesus' baptism. This was the pile of stones that were made when they crossed the Jordan River. This was a marker the same as when the walls of Jericho fell, or when they crossed the Red Sea, when they wandered through the desert and left markers where things occurred. This was a marker in the life of the redemptive history of God in this world. It was a pivotal point. It was when everything changed. With the coming of the Holy Spirit was a declaration from heaven. Could you imagine being there and hearing the voice of God descend from heaven, the heavens opening up, and the voice of God reverberating across the sound, saying, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. It's a vote of confidence from God. A revelation of who Jesus' true father is. And leaves no doubt about what his work was. It was conferring his authority and power to him. God said to Jesus, you were mine. He said it to the world and to John. Now what's this mean? Jesus was identified with us. He was anointed with us. He began his ministry and there's a great marker here. What does this mean for us today? Well, when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are also anointed. We are anointed to a new ministry of service of God like Jesus was. We are set apart, and we are given authority by virtue of the fact that we become adopted sons and daughters of the Most High God. When we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive His power and His gifts, and we begin to manifest His fruit in His life as we are sanctified. We talked about last week the process of sanctification, as that is carried out in our lives as we grow closer and closer him as we walk more and more with him we will manifest his fruit in our lives 
And God has given us the power and everything we need to carry out the work and the ministry he has commanded of us here. See, we are anointed for a purpose. The question becomes, are we willing to step out in faith and do what we've been anointed to do? Are we open to his power, or are we scared to do an allow him to do new and amazing things through us? Because they're oftentimes things that we don't expect. Jesus' baptism was an incredibly important point in his life and in the history of the world. It was important for him to identify with those he was going to save, and it was important because in it, he was anointed for the ministry of God, set before him. Jesus exemplified everything that we were meant to be in his work as a man on earth. He led a holy and sinless life upon this planet, and something that sin has ruined for all of us, for we are all tainted. And that was important, though, so he could be the perfect sacrifice for us. He came here and he chose to live with one of us to identify with us, and to be able to be that sacrifice for us. He had himself baptized here. And I think that is an important point. You see, what we ha see happening is at a specific time, at a specific place, at a specific point in history, he was marking the beginning of his mission, and he was marking the starting point of his ministry to the world to be the savior of the world, the hope of the lost, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But what more he was doing is he is connecting his baptism to the baptism of everyone that had been baptized with John and everyone that was yet to be baptized to come in his name. Including if you're baptized, you and me. He was connecting his life and his death to all those baptisms throughout all time. We're given a great gift in the gospel, in the word. And Luke, as a historian, recording these details the way he has, he gives us this gift, and we are given this gift to be able to see this important point in history, to have this marker in his word. And part of that great gift is that once again, you can see how important God's relationship with you is. Think about this. At that moment in time, all three persons of the Holy Trinity were present. You have the Son of God at this place. At one place in time, you have the Holy Spirit descending upon him like a dove, and you have the Heavenly Father crying out from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. That is a miracle. That is something that means something. But what I say is that if you were baptized, what happened in your baptism is no less a miracle by any means. Your baptism was filled with Jesus and connected you to him. Your baptism was filled with the Holy Spirit and marks the start of his work in your life. Your baptism was witnessed by the Heavenly Father, the creator of the heaven and the earth, who smiled down upon you and says to you exactly what he said to Jesus, you are my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. 
I think one of the greatest gifts about baptism is that it actually happened. It really happened in a real place, at a real point in history with real water and the real word of God. And I think God designed baptism this way for a reason. He knew that sometimes we would need assurances. I don't know, if you're like me, I'm sure that sometimes in your life you've had doubts. I had someone once call them the dark night of the soul, and that stuck with me. Sometimes we have doubts. Sometimes we come to church, we hear the message of God's forgiveness, and we think that's not for me. I'm too dirty. It couldn't be me for me. We hear about his grace, and we say, I still feel guilty. I'm still guilty. Does God still love me? It happens to all of us. We can almost start arguing with God. How many of you drove to church this morning? What if I told you you didn't drive here? You just simply appeared here. I couldn't convince you of that argument, could I? There's nothing I could say that could convince you of that because you physically remember going out to your car. Maybe you had clear snow off of it this morning on a morning like this, start it and warm it up. You remember putting it into gear. You remember pulling out of your driveway, turning onto the road, the blinkers, the drive here, parking out there and walking into this building. And you said, my car's right there, see? You remember that. It was a real physical event that happened in a real place at a real time. Truly historical. So I could never convince you this morning that you didn't drive here. The same's true of our baptism. My urgement to you is that whenever you are tempted to doubt that God loves you, if you ever find yourself doubt doubting that God still calls you his child, if you ever think for one moment that God no longer cares or can't forgive you, think of your baptism. For if you were baptized, you were baptized in the name of God. It really happened. It was a real event at a real time with real physical properties, witnessed by others usually, and with the real word of God. And God gave you a name that day as well. God said to you, you are my beloved child. And he doesn't change his mind. Remember that not just on your good days, remember it on the awful days too. The days when the world is dragging you down and when nothing seems to go right. Maybe you were sick. Maybe you were in pain. Maybe you were struggling from financial hardship or trouble. Maybe you've lost someone you love. Remember and thank God that you are his because it means something. If you've never been baptized, well, come talk to me, Matt, someone. Maybe we can fix that soon. I say what a joy it is to know that God says to you, I have called you by name and you are mine. Jesus did all this on the earth and everything that was yet to come, his work, his ministry here on the earth and his death and then his resurrection just so that you could be able to come to him and he could say you are mine.
that I love you. You are my adopted and my beloved child. So comes the question. Are we living our lives as if we are God's? I encourage you to seek God's face and examine whether you were following Jesus' example. When he says, go and do this, and you feel that prompting of the Holy Spirit, are you saying, but I'm not qualified, I'm not capable, I'm not good enough. When we do that, we doubt God. We doubt his work in our life. And it is in those times, remember, that you were baptized, that you were given his Holy Spirit, and it is his power that will accomplish these works. John was just a man who, yes, while he lived a holy life and had set himself apart and had been set aside for work, until the moment God came to him in the wilderness, he was just a man living in the wilderness wearing funny clothes. The moment God came to him and gave him a mission and he accepted it and went forward in this mission, which was radical and seemingly crazy, he was gifted authority. Such authority that people recognized it. They thought, is this the Christ? It is the same when God moves in our lives and anoints us. God cannot bless your work through you in power until you surrender to him. Until you give up your rights that you believe to have to yourself. Know that you have already been anointed for service if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And don't be scared to serve him. God has given us these markers. What are the markers in your lives? It is important to look back at that. I'm sure when you closely imagine your life, and if you were a believer, you can look back and you can see times when God moved in your life. Those are the markers we look back upon. Our baptism is just one of them. And it connects us through the depths of history all the way back to this moment on this day in the Jordan River. I know this sermon was short today, but... I had more that I originally cut out of it because I felt like it was extraneous to the point of what I felt like the Holy Spirit was telling me to say. I felt like I had added to it just, just to make it long enough. <laughs> so I know this is a short, short sermon today, but I believe this is the message that God has given us from this time. And I am thankful, and I hope you are as well, that God chose to come down to earth and, as, and do this work. As we celebrate his coming birth, the beginning of that act of redemptive history, and this marker where his ministry really kicked off, it is a great time of year to do so. So will you close with me in prayer this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We are humbled by the fact that you chose to come to earth with us as we read about your son's baptism, about Jesus' work here on this earth, that he chose to identify with us and was baptized for that work, may we never forget that in you we are anointed, that in you we have power, 
that in you we are holy and only because of you, that your grace has come upon us, your mercy has covered our multitude of sins. Heavenly Father, we lift you up this morning. We pray that we will never lose focus of you, but in those times when we struggle, we will look back upon these markers you have given us in your word and in our lives and through your baptism. I pray that you will move mightily in us and that we will be a church that moves forward as a beacon in our personal lives, in our professional lives, and in the community around us and to our nation and perhaps the whole world. I lift you up this day and I praise your name. Amen.